Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because Party of Redemption, your table is now ready. Well, there you are. Welcome back to the table. It has been a couple of months, and we're back. I'm excited today because I am sitting at a table that I love. Uh, it's a table of one of my best friends out in a ranch house in New Mexico, just off the Santa Fe Trail, just right outside of Las Vegas, New Mexico. And I am here with my good friend, Owen Young. Owen, welcome to the table. Yeah, it's good to be here, Robert. You uh, personify to me. Uh, I'm, I'm a, the best friends that I have are those, there's a Western term. Louis L'Amour is the first one who used it that I'm... I, familiar with it. He, he says in one of his novels, a person uh, you will do to ride the river with. Uh, you know that term? Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I feel about you. You'll, you would do to ride the river with. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, that just means you can be counted on. Uh, you're, you're a trustworthy friend, loyal, there through the rapids and uh, through the shallows. So... Well, and I appreciate the, the fact that you've been praying for me for all these years, too. I do, and, and you reciprocate. You and uh, Cammie, and uh, your wife Cammie, and you have uh, two, two grown-up uh, children now, a young, young man, young woman, Cade. Yeah, and Cade will be 30 this year. Whoa, so. wow. And then Kayla will be, uh, she just turned 28. So, And I've always noticed, you know, they're... Cammy is spelled with a K. Yeah. Of course, Kate is K, spelled with a K. Kayla with a K. You're an O. So I guess... Uh, I'm the oddball. You're the, well, you know, the most famous gunfight in, in Western history was the OK Corral. And I guess this is the OKKK Corral. Yeah. So, uh, man, I, I would... One of the things that I don't know that I recall hearing from you is your redemption story. And um, maybe just want to pause right here for those who are listening, what the word redemption means. Um, you know, when, uh, when, when things are going terribly wrong in our lives and God touches it and suddenly things are going right, that, that's redemption. Or when, all, you know, when a story that's heading in the wrong direction takes a complete turn and suddenly goes in a good direction, redemption. How would you define redemption? Um, I don't know. I, I, when I think of redemption, I just think of, of God taking us out of um, this world and and restoring us back to Himself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, redemption is taking something that is broken, something that has been ruined, 
and and really restoring it to what it's uh, supposed to be, you know, restoring it back better than new. Uh, that's way, that's the way I I look at redemption. How has God done that in your life, personally? Well, uh, I guess one of the reasons I was leery about doing this podcast is, you know, I've listened to to uh, most all of them, and the the stories that people have are, uh, you know, sometimes are so dramatic where where they were and where God brought them to. Um, I don't see that in my story necessarily. I was I was brought up in a Christian home. Um, I, I actually got to see my dad baptized, uh, my younger brother baptized. We were all baptized the same uh, the same day. Um, I can still remember being at the church and seeing my dad go forward and accept Christ, and and then my brother went forward, my younger brother, and uh, and I can remember gripping the pew and thinking I, I don't want to go out in front of all those people. And, and so I heard the, the words from the pastor that everybody hates to hear is, uh, we're going to sing one more verse. <laughs> and so they did, and, and uh, I held on through most of that verse. And then yeah, I just knew that God was calling me. And so I went forward, and, and uh, the church where we were at, we didn't have a, a pastor. The pastor traveled from Deming to Hachita which is where the church was at. And Hachita was uh, a little bitty community, had a, a bar and a post office. That was about it, you know, in the church. And so the, the, the pastor came from the First Baptist Church in Deming, and he would come out there and preach for us. Um, and so the next weekend, we went to Deming, and they had a baptismal there. So we, we got baptized there. But I can still remember standing at the, the top of the steps of the baptismal and watching my dad be baptized. Wow. So, wow. so I guess my redemption story starts, you know, we, I, I was uh, born and raised on a ranch in, in southwestern New Mexico. I tell people I grew up 30 miles from the post office, 60 miles from school, and 80 miles from the grocery store. Wow. So, so we were very rural. and. Um, my mom uh, was uh, a, a believer, a Christian, and so uh, my dad was not, of course, but when they got married. But my mom is the one who brought Christ to the ranch. And so that was the, I guess, my redemption story starts there with my mom. Okay. So you were brought up on a ranch. Did you always want to be a cowboy? Yeah, pretty much. That's. Uh, and that's all I've ever done, really, is uh, I've worked some other jobs, but, but everything's always been uh, kind of around livestock. Okay. And we have a mutual friend, Jeff Gore, and mm-hmm. I've heard Jeff, Gore, uh, Jeff say in his uh, testimony you know, all his life, he always wanted to be a cowboy. Right. And, uh, of course, I tell people now, I'm, I was born in Alabama. I'm a southerner by birth, but I'm a westerner at heart. Uh, so it's uh, I have an affinity for the West and uh, just just admire uh, the opportunity to you know, spend to be around be around guys like you. Of course, you, we met. You invited me in to lead a, uh, an event at your church, right? Uh, a revival, 
is uh, what the event was called, Church Renewal Revival, and you've actually invited me back three times through the years. I don't mm -hmm. know, about the last 13 years. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, so, uh, and we're like, we're recording this sitting in the kitchen of this ranch house, uh, huge ranch house. Mm -hmm. We've shared a lot of time around this table, either sharing a meal okay. or doing what we did like kind of like yesterday just talking about uh, about life and God's word and just mm -hmm. where we are. So you're pastor, you pastor a church, right? And you're also ranch manager. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, sh you said something last night sitting around the table there at your home that God backdoored you. That's mm -hmm. how you said it. What did you mean by that? Well, it, kind of going back to the, have always wanted to be a cowboy mm -hmm. um you know i was i was born there uh, on the ranch well i wasn't born on the ranch but i grew up there on the ranch uh so i, I don't guess that it's that i wanted to be a cowboy it was kind of i was born into it mm -hmm. and i never thought about doing anything else so it wasn't so much like a desire to do something as something that that i was and i wasn't looking to be do anything different um, as far as God backdooring me into the ministry, I, uh, there were 32 kids, I guess, in my graduating class at school. Okay. So we, we, I went to a school of about 200, and um, so I knew, I, I pretty much knew everybody in the school, knew all the families, knew all the people, but if we had to do an oral report or anything standing in front of the class, I took the zero. <laughs> and so that was not, uh, that was something I had no desire to do. Um, it, it, in fact, I hated it. And that would have been the last thing I would have ever thought that I would do would be preaching in front of people. Um, and so kind of later on, uh, after Cammie and I got married, I became a deacon in the church at, at Fence Lake. And then when we left from Fence Lake and came to the Las Vegas area, uh, I was a deacon at the Calvary Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Um, I was the only deacon at the time, and uh, our pastor, Fred Maldonado, would take a couple of weeks off around Christmas time. Right, right after Christmas, he would leave for two weeks, um, and he would ask me to preach. And that was something I really didn't want to do, but I had kind of started you know, teaching Sunday school classes. So in just a small setting, I got a little more comfortable speaking with people and um, you know I grew up our closest neighbor was probably eight or ten miles away you know so it, it's always been hard for me I guess uh, conversing with people even one-on-one -on -one a lot of times but um, but anyway Fred would ask me to preach for him and I struggled through it the you know the first few years and uh, and it, it got to be a little easier and and I told one of the other pastors there in Las Vegas, uh, I said, you know, I said, I, I finally got to where I can uh, preach a message without just having to throw up before, before the service, yeah. you know, just the nerves. And uh, I said, but one thing I will never do is pastor a church, <laughs> <laughs> which I've learned you'd never say never to God. But, um, but you know, God kind of, kind of backdoored me into to preaching and then it just seemed like uh, circumstances happened to where 
eventually uh, Fred left. We were without a pastor for uh, I think a year and a half. And during that time, I, I really became more of the pastor at the church. Uh, you know, just as be, being a leader in the church and, and having people uh, look to me. So it wasn't something that uh, I was looking to do. Mm-hmm. It just kind of happened. So I guess that's why I say that, that God backdoored me into the ministry. Yeah. And then we, uh, we started doing a, a service um, here at the ranch in the shop. And uh, a lot of the ranch families that weren't going to church anywhere uh, and weren't really interested in going to a church building, for, for whatever reasons, a lot of it's just uh, maybe being on a ranch and being so remote, it's, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's, it's just not comfortable being around a lot of people. And so, uh, you know, we just had a few families coming. There was, I think, I believe there was four women who had either um, were having trouble having children mm-hmm. or had, uh, had lost children. Mm-hmm. And so at, at our services, we started praying for, for all these women because they wanted to have kids, but they were having trouble. And uh, three of the four, I, I, don't, I can't even tell you how many kids they have now. Wow. But it was, it was pretty amazing to see how God worked in that. But, mm-hmm. but having the, the service here at the ranch, it made it a lot more uh, available, a lot more comfortable for people to come. And so it was, uh, it was really good for, for while it lasted. Um, then I, I began to serve as the, the interim pastor for the Mora Valley Baptist Church. And they had approached me, and I told them that I would commit to them for a year. Mm-hmm. And so, so I stayed there for a year until they, they called a full-time pastor. Um, and, and so uh, the, it was about a year, I guess, after that, that Rosiata, uh, the Rosiata Baptist Church was having some difficulties. There was some miscommunication mm-hmm. between the pastor and the congregation, and, and it kind of blew up, and they were having some some pretty ugly business meetings. And some of the people there uh, had been at the church in Las Vegas when Cammie and I were at that church. Mm-hmm. And so they knew me and, and they asked me to just sit in on some business meetings. And I told them, you know, I'm not a member of your church. I, I, there's not anything I can say. And they basically just wanted me to be there, I guess, to, to witness what was going on and maybe give them some, some kind of counsel, which um, I did, and I sat through some of the business meetings, and it was pretty bad. A lot of people left that church. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, they had, uh, they had called another pastor, and he, was, he wasn't there for very long, and then he left. Um, and then an, uh, a man by the name of Jim Davis came, and he spent a year there, and, and he, was pretty, he was pretty tough on them. Mm-hmm. You know, but, uh, and, and more people left mm-hmm. when he got there. But... There began to be some healing. Um, the people that that weren't looking to reconcile finally left, mm-hmm. um, and then they started looking to call a full time pastor because he told them he would be there a year. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, at the end of that year, I, I had preached for him a few times when he was gone, and, and so they started looking. and And he told them, he said, "Don't overlook the obvious." Mm-hmm. And and he mentioned my name and, and uh, 
so they began to to talk to me and and I prayed about it and finally felt like that God really was calling me to to be their pastor and you've been there how many years been there 13 years wow wow be 13 years I guess next month okay and that's about the time you invited me to come mm-hmm. up to do that yeah. revival you know, one of the things I want to say for those listening to the podcast who may not be in church and you just hear this about, you know, church and internal struggle within a church, something I said off, I said every now and then I get something right when I say it the first time. It doesn't happen often. But I remember one time having a conversation with my own uh, children uh, who are now young adults. I just said, don't blame God for God's people. Right. And anytime that we human beings get a hand in things and start willing our will, uh, even in, even in the context of a church where you would think God would, God will always have you know God does get the final say, but we make it difficult for Him at times. And so I just share that with those listening, you know, um, who well, well and, and like what happened there at Real Seattle was uh, it really. To me, being kind of on the outside looking in, mm-hmm. it, it was a lot more about miscommunication mm-hmm. than, than anybody necessarily doing something wrong or, mm-hmm. or meaning having evil intentions. Yeah, you know, and and but then there begin to be unforgiveness, you know, and and people taking things personal and mm-hmm. and not giving their their brothers and sisters the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, you know, so it, it kind of snowballed from there and. When Cammy and I, when we first went, there was, counting us, there was 12 people in the church. Okay. Um, and it took probably two or three years before some of the people started coming back. Mm-hmm. And, and there was real reconciliation. Yeah. And, and then it just began to thrive. You know, and we started getting new people in. And, because word gets out and the community hears that, you know, that they're having a battle at the church, mm-hmm. and so they don't want any part of that, and I don't yeah. blame them. I don't either. You know, yeah. so it, it worked out. I think people finally recognized that, you know what, we're just uh, we're letting the devil win this battle. Yeah, yeah. And there needs to be forgiveness, and, yeah. and true forgiveness, not just you know, not just by words, but but truly uh, just letting things go. Yeah. And uh, like the the pastor that was there, him and I get along great. You know, in fact, I've had him come and preach for me. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's he's been back to the church. So there's been real reconciliation. Yeah. So I think that's a, a testimony to the power of God. And, yeah. And the fact that you know we are all uh, sinners saved by grace, and sometimes we mess up. Yeah. Yeah, we do. I mean, you know, we're 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 still growing in the Lord. Mm-hmm. He's still, uh, you know, the thing the things Jesus commanded us to do. Right. And set the example for us. These are not the easy things to do. Right. Uh, to get over ourself, our flesh, mm-hmm. and, and to do them because it, we have to humble ourselves. So, so but I, you know, I, in knowing you and knowing your temperament, I think you know God. You know, God has placed you there, and and he, the fact that you've been there thirteen years says a lot. One of the things I admire about you: you're not your stereotypical preacher uh, in terms of you know, or pastor. Pastor, a lot of times people hear that term and they have a concept in their mind, and maybe those of you listening have that. Uh, but you know, some of the things you 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 do that I I'm just like, wow. Uh, you, for one, you already mentioned having the service out here at the ranch, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. Uh, that's part of you know, I feel God leading to do that midweek service called Broken. 
because there are some people who, and I get it, who have, uh, they're just standoffish about stepping inside the door of an organized church. Um, you do that, you, you've gone, to, I don't know how many countries, to build houses and, you know, one-room houses, right, for mm-hmm. people around the world. Usually it's like a three-room house, three room. but I mean, okay. it's, it's one room divided into three rooms, basically. Yeah. It's, it's not very big, yeah. maybe 12 by 20. And how many places have you gone to do that? Um, I've been to Guatemala twice, mm-hmm. uh, Nicaragua once, and the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. And then we've gone to, to Juarez, um, Mexico. I'm not even sure how many times. Okay. Probably, probably 15 maybe. Wow. 13 so about, to 15. About 20 houses there, mm-hmm. people in other countries mm-hmm. who would not be able to afford or have a house right. and go to do that. And then another thing that you, you do, you, you've been to Las Vegas, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's been talking about Las Vegas, folks, and it's Las Vegas, New Mexico, <laughs> but you've been to Las Vegas, Nevada to, Nevada to play uh, pool. Yeah. Um, and you started playing pool here locally in the pool halls. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you do all these things that are, and I'm like, that's outside the box. That's, you know, but that's, where we need to be. Well, why do you do these things? Why do you, why, why did you, you know, have a service here? Why did you, why do you go build houses around the world? Why do you, why did you, why do you play pool? Go to a pool <laughs> hall where normally, you know, some, some places you're like, well, the pastor wouldn't be caught right. dead inside the pool hall. <laughs> well, and that's probably the one that I struggled with the most. I, I had a, actually had a guy working for me. He, he was a, a Mexican national, uh, but he worked for me for about three years, I guess, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he loved to play pool. And I've always enjoyed playing pool. And I finally got a table, found a, a used table, and I set it up in the shop. And so him and I would play at, at lunchtime. We'd go in there and we'd play some. And, and he played in the league here in Las Vegas. And um, they, they had it at the VFW and at the Eagles Lodge and at the Elks Lodge at the time. And... Um, he kept wanting me to play on his team. And I, I just, I thought, nah, I don't know about that. Um, and anyway, we, uh, he kind of kept on me and I, and I thought about it. And, and finally I went in there with him and, and just got to visiting with the people. And, and uh, you know, they were, they, a lot of them didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. Most of them didn't. Um, and it kind of opened the door to, to be able to witness to people. And, mm-hmm. And so I told him, you know what, I'll, I'll start coming in. I'll just come in and watch you guys play. And so I went in there and I got to, to visit with more people. More people got to know me. And then, then I started playing and, and uh, kind of had the opportunity, I guess, to, to set an example, even within uh, not the best of environments. Mm-hmm. But I noticed that uh, as people got to know me, the environment started changing. Mm-hmm. The, the language got a little less coarse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people were a little more careful about what they said, which yeah, I tell people, you know what, if you can say it in front of God, you can say it in front of me. Yeah. You know, if it doesn't bother you to say it in front of him, don't, don't let it bother you to say it in front of me. Um, you know, if it bothers you to say it in front of me, then it ought to bother, bother you to say it in front of him. Yeah. But, um, but it was interesting to just see how how it started to change and how, how people, when they would have problems, 
they would come to me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and the only reason they knew me was because I was there in, in their world, you know, and so, I don't know, it's been an, it's been an interesting journey doing that. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I enjoy the being able to play. Sometimes I didn't enjoy too much being kind of in that, mm-hmm. uh, even though, you know, years ago that would, would have been perfectly comfortable for me to be mm-hmm. right there in the midst and drinking with everybody and all that. But for them to see me come in there and, and not be drinking, mm-hmm. not be smoking, not be telling the, uh, the stories that, and the jokes that they're telling, um, it's, I, I think people start to look at their own lives and, and think about, you know, look at what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, maybe that opens the door to, to share the gospel with people. Yeah. Um, some of the people that uh, that I've played pool with now actually come to the church, you know. So that's cool. That's been a and, and Las Vegas is primarily a, I guess you would say a, a Catholic um, community. Uh, most everybody claims to be Catholic, even though very few of them are actually practicing Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's just been interesting to see how. How that's kind of played out, yeah. but but people people need to hear the gospel, but they're not necessarily gonna they're not gonna come to the church mm-hmm. to hear it, you know. So I believe Jesus has called us to go into our communities, to go into the world, but not to be like the world, yeah. to set an example. You know, we're not to be monks and and just withdraw within our our, our churches and and not rub elbows with people. Now, if I had a, if I was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. then I would have no business being in that environment and, and setting myself up to uh, maybe get caught back up into a lifestyle mm-hmm. that, that, I, that the Lord had brought me out of. Yeah. You know, but if, if that's not the temptation, then, uh, you know, or if I was, if it was easily, if I was easily lured in by, by other women or, mm-hmm. or anything like that, if I, if I felt like that environment was beginning to change me, then I need to get out of it. Right. But at this point, it's not. It's, mm-hmm. it's an opportunity to, uh, to kind of set the temperature of, of what's going on there and say, this is what the Lord has, uh, can do in your life. Yeah. You know, I can picture everything you do as you know Jesus would be it would fit there mm-hmm. uh, I could see Jesus moving cattle I can see Jesus branding mm-hmm. cattle because he worked you know mm-hmm. he, he was a carpenter uh, I could see Jesus preaching there Rociata because mm-hmm. he did he preached in his local synagogue right. and spoke in other places and then I could see Jesus in at the pool hall right. you know uh, so and, and you know, being a bivocational pastor, being a, a ranch manager, it gives me opportunities to to witness to people, mm-hmm. especially on the ranches. You know, the uh, a lot of the cowboys are pretty hard individuals, I guess. They work hard, um, they play hard, they drink hard. You know, it just uh, it's kind of an environment that that causes men to be, maybe to be, I don't know if tough is the right word, but um, 
they're they're good, honest, hardworking people, and sometimes those are the hardest people to reach with the gospel mm -hmm. because they don't see and understand their need for a savior. Yeah, their word has always been good. Uh, they've always worked for what they have. Uh, sometimes they don't see themselves as as sinners in need of grace, mm -hmm. and so you know this gives me an opportunity to. Uh, to have a witness within the ranching community, yeah. you know, I know a lot of there's a lot of cowboy churches uh, around the the country, this part of the world now, and and I think they're good, but I've never been uh, a real advocate of cowboy churches, um, even though the church at Rosiata has been described as a cowboy church because because I'm pastoring there. Mm -hmm. uh, Randy Houston, who leads the music, does cowboy music and, and travels around doing that. And so we have a lot of ranch families and, and a lot of people come in there and they think, well, this is, you know, a cowboy church. And, um, but the real strength of the church is the diversity of the church. Mm -hmm. That's why I would never call it a cowboy church. It's like, just like I, I, I wouldn't agree with having a biker church or... Mm -hmm. Even though that might be your, your target group or whatever, the, the real strength of the church is the fact that, you know what, you got an accountant over here, you got a cowboy over here, you have a biker over here, mm -hmm. and all these guys are coming together and worshiping God and, yeah. and loving the Lord. It's like something's going on here that's not natural. Yeah. And, and that's really the, the witness of the church, I guess, more than the strength. It's when you can see so many different people, different races, um, and they all come together and they all love each other and they love the Lord, then the world has to look at that and say, I don't understand it. Yeah. But I want to be part of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it removes all barriers. Mm -hmm. I was uh, in one of our national parks here a few days ago and I was standing at the rim and course uh, there's people come from around the world to see our parks as other people from here travel around the world to see their parks those countries that have parks and I, I just was looking across the canyon where I was standing and to my left I caught an, an, uh, uh, an Asian dialect and it just struck me I didn't even turn to look but I just you know heard the rhythm of it and this, the almost the sing-song that the, the the way it sounded was just beautiful, but it hit me, struck me in that moment. I'm hearing heaven. Yeah, that's what heaven's going to sound like. Uh, we're going to understand, but you know, but, but it's every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every tongue. Yeah, you know, those who who put their faith, surrendered to Christ, mm -hmm. you know, uh, trusted Jesus, mm -hmm. uh, and it's like, wow, it's not just an American thing. Or, mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to ask you one final question. Uh, where do you see God? I know you spend a lot of saddle time, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you get to do stuff that I love to do. I had the opportunity to, to work with cattle when I was in Texas, pastoring for several years. But, you know, that's where do you see God in your day to day, in your, in your, in your world? Well, I guess. It, like here at the ranch, I mean, it's it's easy to see God in creation. You know, get out there and the sun's coming up and uh, you just, the birds start singing and you see the, uh, maybe see the elk or hear the elk bugling. And, 
um, you know, and you can just really feel God in, in creation. Like when the, uh, um, when a, a newborn calf is born, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you just see the miracle of uh, a calf that's inside of a cow at 100 degrees and then he's spit out on a snowbank and it's 20 below. Wow. And, and the cow can dry him off and, and warm him up with her tongue in, in just a matter of, of minutes. And if, if I try to do it with a towel and a blow dryer and everything else, it takes me an hour. And <laughs> it's just, just to see how, how God has designed everything. Um, that's one of the ways to see, you know, and see that little baby calf get up and he knows right where to go for, for his first meal. And it's just, sometimes that's pretty overwhelming. But then also when you see somebody come into the church or you get to witness to somebody that, uh, that's hurting, that's lost and, and see God redeem them and, and bring them back it's that's even more overwhelming uh, more powerful to see that you know what God's still saving people yeah that's his heart mm-hmm. that's his heart I see God in you and I'm grateful for you my friend uh I want to thank you for sharing the time. I'm glad we got this time. I'm glad I just happened to be popping in. Usually I'm inviting here. This time I, I've lived up to my last name and barged in on you. Um, uh, I'm glad you called us and let us know you were in this part of the world. Yeah. Well, I love you. love your family. And uh, just thank you for... I'm, I'm grateful to be back at this table for a few moments. So. I appreciate you, Robert. I love you, too. Yeah. Well, for those of you listening, thank you for being with us at the table today. And hopefully next Wednesday morning, we'll be back at it again. Uh, Until then, uh, just keep listening for the word. Party of Redemption, your table is now available. And based on what Owen just said, uh, those words are in God's mouth right now, are on his tongue for you, you who are listening, always. So... Until next week.